I'd like to continue with the um, discussion about the uh, four foundations of mindfulness, having gotten through one and having speeded through the second. <laughs> I think I was talking very quickly, <laughs> so I hope you got something, but I'll go over it a little bit tonight. And um, just to begin, uh, if you'll remember, when I spoke on Monday, I read something that the Buddha had said about uh, finding for yourself an island which no flood can overwhelm. And what he actually said was, by wise effort and earnestness, find for yourself an island which no flood can overwhelm. Um, and just to add to this, because that's kind of a mystery in and of itself, so to explain what that means with another thing that the Buddha said, which is, be your own island, be your own refuge, do not take any other refuge. Let the Dharma be your island, let the Dharma be your refuge, do not take any other refuge. And how does one take oneself as an island, oneself as a refuge, without any other refuge? How is the Dharma one's island and refuge and nothing else? By the way, Dharma means the truth of things. One dwells practicing contemplation on the body, feelings, mind, and the Dharma. In this way, one will be one's own island and refuge without any other. In this way, one will have the Dharma as one's island and refuge and nothing else. So, what's being said, of course, is that the way to find an inner island which no flood can overwhelm, the way to find a reliable refuge, is by bringing mindfulness to the four foundations, by being mindful of the body, by being mindful of feeling, by being aware and mindful of thoughts and emotions, mental states, and being mindful of the truth of things, the way things operate, the laws of experience, the underlying truth beyond appearances. So the Buddha basically is saying that one who applies mindfulness in all the different dimensions and areas of the body and the mind experience will free the mind from inner torment, will free the heart from inner torment. And how the reason why or how this happens is because in being mindful or aware, we're actually in contact with life. We're in contact with what we can be in contact with. Yeah. Not uh, a mystery, not um, an, an idea or a belief or uh, you know, a philosophical system or anything like this, but being in contact with life from moment to moment and allowing ourselves to be taught by life. Sometimes we, we hear or we speak about learning from life. And learning from life, obviously, is what does happen. But to some extent, when we say learning from life, it's very active. We're trying to learn from life, sometimes desperately, so that we will find some degree of ease. I think sometimes it's actually quite helpful to, to feel it more as a sense of receptivity. And I've been talking about relaxing into the here and now instead of trying to be mindful. Um, a sense of receptivity so that we are 
uh, receptive enough or allowing ourselves to be taught by the here and now, to be taught by the present moment, the best teacher that there is. Whatever teacher we're attuned to or that we uh, feel faith in or whatever, this is good, this is helpful. And the best teacher is always the present moment for each one of us. And this is what the Buddha is saying when he says, um, be, a, be a light unto yourself, be a refuge unto yourself, be your own island. It uh, has to do with each one of us allowing ourselves to be taught by our experiences, to be taught by life, to allow the sense doors to be sensitized and receptive and open so that we're open to being taught instead of being filled up already with our assumptions and conclusions about how life is. So we begin by being aware of the body. <clears throat> and I won't go into the body anymore, but um, just to remind you that the idea is to be aware of the body in the body, which means to be aware of the raw experience of the body rather than following a train of thought about the body. Instead of thinking or imagining anything about the body, being inside of the body, embodying the body, and so allowing ourselves to be taught by our awareness of the body. So not taking the body itself as a refuge because the body itself is enormously unreliable and does change and does get sick and is often not the way we want it to be. The body is not a refuge. But being mindful of the body is a refuge because it changes our whole relationship to the fact that we have this body. Being aware of feeling is being aware of the feeling in the feeling, which means being aware of the texture in the present moment of whatever our experience is. And feeling comes about through contact. Contact meaning that there has to be um, a sense door, as in the eye. There has to be an object, as in something that we're looking at. And then there also has to be consciousness. So a sense door, an object, and consciousness coming together is contact. And then out of contact is a feeling. And the feeling is, it's nice and convenient, because there's only three. It's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So to know whether what we are experiencing in the body is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and to know whether the thought that is happening is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, or the emotion that is occurring. You know, we might be having a really great fantasy, and maybe we have some understanding that, you know, we, we need to let it go, but it's not so easy to let go of fantasy. To be aware of its pleasant quality is a way into it. Is, is being quite aware and mindful and continuing to practice even when there's resistance to letting go. You know, it's quite skillful just to be aware of the pleasant texture of something like a fantasy or to be aware of the unpleasant texture of something like loneliness, for instance. And just to be aware of this, this quality of life, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, from moment to moment. 
Being aware of the feeling in the feeling means being aware of the texture instead of what's around that texture, such as judging or comparing, clinging to the pleasant, trying to get rid of the unpleasant. But instead, seeing if we can, as, as Thich Nhat Hanh said, I think he said it so beautifully, see if we can sit on the bank of the river of feeling and identify each feeling as it arises and passes away. Now, sometimes we want to dive in, and oftentimes we do dive in, and then we have to kind of, you know, creep to, up to the banks and pull ourselves out when we've dived in too far. But to sit on the bank of the river, simply experiencing, not being afraid of pleasure, and at the same time, accepting the limitation of pleasure that it does arise and pass away. Seeing if we can get a little bit closer, widen our our world so that we don't have to be quite so contracted when the unpleasant or the uncomfortable is occurring. And seeing if we can relate to the neutral or the neither pleasant nor unpleasant without spacing out or being indifferent or getting lost in habit. If we're not aware of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, there is a propelling force that occurs and we are propelled when there is pleasant feeling, we're propelled into wanting more of it if we're not aware that pleasant feeling is happening. If unpleasant feeling is occurring and we're not aware of it, we're propelled into having to get rid of it, our happiness being dependent on having to get rid of it. And of course, feeling quite lost and disappointed because so much is out of our control. If we don't if we're, if we're not aware that the neutral is happening, then we find ourselves going way up and way down in life and lost in confusion and perplexity and delusion and never quite knowing where we are, finding a stable foothold within ourselves, finding a stable foothold in life. When we're aware, we can find ourselves not being quite as pushed around and aware of what the Buddha called the origination and the dissolution of everything, meaning change, meaning impermanence. And so we can see that with feeling too, feeling itself is not a refuge. Pleasure is not a refuge. If we beat ourselves up enough and we experience the unpleasant, that is not a refuge. The neutral is not a refuge. Awareness of feeling is a refuge. Awareness of pleasant, awareness of unpleasant, awareness of neutral is a refuge. Sustaining our attention and experiencing feeling as waves of sensation allows us to not cling quite as tightly, allows us to relax and to let go, to enjoy the pleasant. but to relax and to let go into whatever it is that's occurring, relaxing and observing without grasping and clinging. The third foundation The third foundation of mindfulness is to be aware of thoughts and of emotions, to be mindful and aware of thoughts and of
of emotions, to not take any one emotion or any one thought as a refuge, but instead to see if we can take awareness or mindfulness of emotion and thought as our refuge. What we're talking about here is a coloration of the heart when there is a thought, when there is a mental state, when there is an emotion. The heart is colored in some way. There's a coloration of consciousness, coloration of heart, or coloration of mind. And these are things like um, fear or boredom or doubt or greed or jealousy or, or longing or insecurity or depression or um, anything at all, states of mind that are occurring, thoughts that are occurring from moment to moment. And oftentimes, if we're not aware of the heart being colored in some direction or another, there's a feeling of contraction. There's a sense of pressure. And we're perplexed by that pressure. We're perplexed by that sense of being squeezed. It's almost like the heart is being squeezed in some way because we're not aware of the thought that is happening being a thought. We're not aware that the emotion that is happening is an emotion. It's not who we are. It's not how things are. It's not as substantial as it appears to be. It's changing, even though oftentimes it appears to be permanent. And this is what we examine in this realm of thought and emotion. If we're not aware, whatever thought or emotion is occurring is completely clouding our heart. It's like there's a veil over the heart and there's a cloudiness over the heart and then we tend to act out of that cloudiness. It colors our whole experience, our whole life. And it's very easy to come to conclusions about how things are based on a particular thought or emotion. I'm sure you noticed, you've all noticed this through this time here, that you know you might wake up in the morning and think, oh boy, you know, a whole day of this, I can't stand waking up. And then, you know, then you sit a little bit and you have a really kind of peaceful sitting at some point and you think, oh, you know, I want to stay here forever. How can I, how can I work it out with my husband to stay here forever? You know, my kids at six, seven, they're, they're old enough to bend for themselves. No problem. You know, we start having, you know, delusions, <laughs> delusions about, um, and it's really, it's just clinging because it's a good feeling that's happening when just two hours later we couldn't wait to get out of here. You know? And w- so we can see, and I'm, I'm sure all of us have had this kind of experience um, at some point or another during this time, maybe not with that storyline or that form, but certainly in this same way of the um, heart going up and down according to the emotion that is occurring. We can see everything through uh, this this coloration. You know, I mean, we can look around and, oh, everybody just looks so beautiful and, you know, everybody's so loving and we're in this great community and, oh, I I can't, you know, I, I love the way other people walk and how they're supporting me and, you know, it's so great to walk with everybody. You know, and just there's a particular state of mind occurring in that, in that moment. And then the next moment, you know, I hate everybody. How come this person is sitting next to me chewing their food this way? You know, doesn't this person know better than to wear those loud socks in the, you know, in the meditation hall that's really disturbing me? 
you know? I, I can't stand everybody. I can't wait till I go home. Maybe I'll, I'll leave before the end, you know, leave before I have to talk to everybody because obviously, you know, this is not my community, you know? And then, you know, it changes again, you know? You, you stay here, you, you stay still, you stay mindful, and once again, oh, I have to leave at some point, you know, and I love everybody. Yeah, and it's just, you know, again, it's the coloration of the mind over and over again happening. And we go up and down with it. And this is where mindfulness comes in. You know, because with mindfulness, we can, um, we can allow ourselves to stay stable in the midst of the different colorations of heart and mind that are happening. And it actually can be a little bit fun or, you know, definitely, definitely amusing. Yeah. If we're not mindful, everything is really, you know, always kind of a tragedy. Whereas if we are mindful, um, we, can, we can really be quite amused, um, particularly in this environment, we can be quite amused at you know, the, the, the incredible ways that the mind does what it does. It's amazing, this mind, what it can do and what it can put us through. Well, it's just an amazing thing. So to not take refuge in the emotion or in the thought or in the coloration but to maintain mindfulness is our refuge. We can know the mind that is contracted. We can know the mind that is expansive. We can know the mind that is full of fear. We can know the mind that is free from fear. We can know the mind that is concentrated. We can know the mind that is scattered. And all of this is worthwhile to know. Because then we can also see what is beneficial, what is wholesome, and what is fragmented. Yeah. I mean, when, when, we're, when we're stuck in fear or when we're stuck in anger, we notice that there's a certain disconnection. We notice that there's a certain fragmentation occurring. Whereas when uh, compassion is occurring or when um, there's a sense of unification occurring, uh, when the mind is very concentrated and full and at ease, we can know this as well. And when we do, then it's possible to encourage these states of mind. It's impossible to get behind them, to appreciate them, not to see them as just a fluke. You know, everything is always so terrible, and this is a fluke that there's some concentration happening right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it'll go away really soon, and, you know, kind of getting all hyper about it. Whereas really just to recognize, well, you know, and it's not, it's not I am concentrated or I am at ease or I am compassionate because then we're really sunk. It will leave and then, you know, we'll be sunk into the I that is not concentrated and not at ease and, um, and not compassionate. But to be able to appreciate the wholesome states of mind that do arise for all of us, I think, is quite important. We tend to focus on the fragmenting states of mind. I don't know if this is true for everyone here, but there does seem to be a tendency um, in the culture at large to focus on the fragmented states of mind and to identify more with these states and to actually be able to appreciate and delight in and encourage the beneficial states of mind, the wholesome states of mind, that which is quite unifying. This is a really, really good thing. This is a really important thing to do. As mindfulness increases, we are less at the mercy of our thoughts and of our, emotion, our emotions. 
And we see that our only true work is to observe, to allow the facts of observation to have an impact on us. And this is what I meant by allowing ourselves to be taught by life. Instead of an emotion occurs and it's horrible and terrible and I have to get rid of it and it's who I am and oh no. Instead of this, when an emotion occurs, can we bring some degree of interest to it? Can we actually be interested in it? You know, knowing that it's not going to be permanent. I mean, even if we don't know that, taking it on rumor, that it's been rumored to not be impermanent. I mean, whichever which way we have to do it. But bringing some degree of interest in so that we're interested in this emotion occurring. You know, what's it really like? What's really happening? What's it composed of? How does it feel in the body? First foundation of mindfulness. Is it pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? You know, second foundation of mindfulness. Um, what are the thoughts that are happening in the present moment? What is this emotion composed of? How did it happen? What is the kind of atmosphere? What's the atmosphere that one is living in? Is it heaven? Is it hell? Is it delightful? Is it terrible? You know? To, to see if we can be aware of that atmosphere instead of panicking and just trying to get out of it. Can we allow ourselves to stay still in the midst of it and to allow there to be an impact from our observation, an impact from the contact? You know? It's so different than just living our life having experience after experience after experience than it is to be mindful of our experiences so that those experiences have an impact on us, so that we can see our way through to something quite new, quite different. To see that we don't, we can't make a home, we can't find a refuge in any one emotion, in any one thought, because it will change. And as Joanna Macy said in one of her books, no feeling is final. And in, in, in this case, she meant emotion. No emotion is final. No. So to be mindful, to be aware, to take refuge in awareness rather than in the emotion or in the thought. You know, we can do this easily with thoughts. We can try to take refuge in a particular thought and then add to it and continue with it and think about how our life is going to be. And then it pops. You know, it, it pops like a bubble. Maybe we've been able to keep it going a lot of our time here, and then we leave. You know, we walk out and we have a conversation with someone, and all of a sudden it just pops. It's like a, a bubble popping in front of us. We want to kind of be pre-bubble-like pre or pre-popping. Uh, mindfulness is a pre-popping attention of mind. <laughs> the Buddha didn't say that, but I <laughs> think he might approve. <laughs> so to... Contemplate is not to be introspective. It's not to get involved with inner arguing or with justifying the thought or emotion that's happening or to um, get caught in it in any way. Just in the same way as we're talking about contemplating the body in the body and not to apply oneself to a train of thought about the body, to contemplate feeling in the feeling and not to get caught in what is around that feeling, such as judging or justifying or whatever it might be. And in the same way, to be aware of the thought in the thought or the emotion in the emotion, the mental state in the mental state, and not to fault 
follow or fall into a train of thinking about that thought or about that mental state. Two, be aware of evaluating and comparing. Not to focus with mindfulness practice, with the Buddhist teaching, not to focus so much on what it means. So often when a thought or emotion occurs, that's our first thought is, what does this mean? Why is this happening to me? Um, you know, and then this whole life of, of one's emotional life flashes in front of one's mind, and one gets very involved in, why is it happening now? I thought we were done with that. You know, that happened a long time ago. Um, why, why is this always happening to me? And we're caught, we're stuck, we're t- trying to take refuge in that moment in analysis or in the emotion itself. Because what comes after that is, what should I do about it? How can I fix it? And usually what is propelling this is aversion. How can I fix this so I will never have to feel it again? When in actuality, it's not the feeling, it's not the emotion itself or the thought itself that's important. It's the mindfulness of it. As the relationship to thoughts and emotions change, we can be aware of any thought and any emotion without being so imbalanced. When there is condemnation, we lock that emotion in. When there is love and acceptance and awareness and compassion, there is a self-liberating quality to that emotion. Now that thought liberates itself. That emotion liberates itself. It's not something we have to do anything about or change or try to dissolve. It will dissolve on its own. It self-liberates through being aware, through being mindful. We see when we are mindful of emotions and thoughts that we don't need to be afraid as we may be. We don't have to be afraid of that which is within us. It's not even coming from someone else in this environment. It's, it's within us. And oftentimes we can see that we're so afraid of feeling. We're so afraid of particular thoughts. And we see if we take refuge in mindfulness, in awareness, we don't have to be as afraid We can see that freedom lies not in the absence of particular thoughts or of particular emotions, but in our ability to accept and to let be, to accept and to let be, and to respond with compassion instead of our usual reactive ways of responding to difficult emotions and thoughts, which oftentimes has to do with being angry, that particular thoughts and emotions are occurring uh, with um, you know, a sense of self-pity, of fear, of grief. But instead, seeing if we can be aware of all these variety, these different reactions, and be aware, take our refuge in awareness. Find our refuge within mindfulness instead of in the particular emotion or thought that is occurring. The fourth foundation is mindfulness of the Dharma. And what this means is laws of nature, or observing uh, the laws of nature, the underlying truth of things. Um, Being aware of how things are. And just as with the body, and with feelings, and with uh, mental states, 
you know, we've been saying be aware of the body in the body, be aware of the feeling in the feeling, um, be aware of the mental state in the mental state or emotion in the emotion or the thought in the thought. With um, awareness of the Dharma, it's being aware of the Dharma in the Dharma. And so this means um, being aware of the truth of things, not uh, the truth of things according to cultural conditions, but the truth of things meaning in our own experience how we see things to be through deeply exploring and finding out for ourselves how things are. So really a very deep exploration of the elements of life, a very deep exploration of phenomena, living in the light of the truth with direct contact with mindfulness. Out of contact comes understanding, and out of understanding comes freedom. But there has to be this contact uh, with our experience in ourselves so that we can see how things are for ourselves. One example might be that knowing that a fantasy is a fantasy. I mean, if we don't look at a fantasy, we may think that you know, it can be very helpful because then we don't have to expl- experience so much unpleasantness in life or so much difficulty in life because we have this ability to bring the mind away from that which is difficult and to take refuge in fantasy. Yeah. But when we look more closely, we see that it's really not a way out because it's so impermanent. Even the most wonderful or best of fantasies comes and goes. Oh, it's something that at some point hits us. And um, it can be a little bit hard hitting if we've spent a lot of our life trying to get ourselves out of life by engaging in very wonderful thoughts about things. And then we see, oh, it's so empty. It's so not real. It's so insubstantial. And we can't stay there. And actually, life is really difficult because we're not learning how to be with things as they are. And our mind, our life is very narrow and constricted and there's a lot of pressure in it because of not being able to be with life exactly as it is. You know, the more moments we flee in this way, the less we learn how to love the present moment, the less we learn how to be nurtured by the here and now. And you know, the present moment, the here and now is not a cliche. It's really just a way of saying, be in your life. Be aware of your life. Live. Live your life rather than flee from your life, rather than thinking you can avoid it. But instead, live it. That's all that's meant by the present moment, and that's really all that's meant by all the words about the practice, about what the practice is. It really just means live in reality rather than in our thoughts about reality, or our imagination, or our wishes, or our hopes. Because when we nurture this love of the present moment, we do find that it is the only thing that really nourishes us. We do find that it's our only real sense of nourishment in life, and we find everything we're looking for. As we practice, a gradual shift begins to occur inwardly. The contents of consciousness take the forms that lead to liberation. 
So instead of the natural inclination to be identified with our experiences, to be lost in our experiences, to be tightly centered in our definitions of who we think we are, tightly contracted around our ideas of ourselves being anything in particular at all, we do begin to recognize what brings peace. We do begin to recognize what brings misery. And then we have a real choice in life. Then we can really take the direction that is going to bring ease. So to be aware of the Dharma in the Dharma means a bare recognition of how things are, instead of being um, lost in belief systems about how things are, or instead of um, believing in how we've been taught that th how things are. And also, I would say, uh, instead of kind of adopting the Buddhist teaching without really practicing it, those ways in which we may have some degree of faith in things, but we're not really finding out for ourselves. Being mindful of the Dharma in the Dharma means the willingness to find out for ourselves how things are. So really taking that risk, understanding for ourselves how things, how things function, how things operate, how things really are in nature. We can reflect on the ways that sometimes we take the impermanent to be permanent, and in doing so, suffer. We can notice the ways that we uh, see the attractive as being worthy of our attachment, the appearance of something being attractive as being worthy of attachment, and we can allow ourselves to see this and to let go. We can be aware that we see that which is empty as having great substance and solidity. Uh, there are particular <coughs> thoughts that we think have an enormous amount of substance and solidity and ha are how things are. And so much of the kind of excitement or delight um, or kind of brilliance or, or um, uh, joy in practice has to do with seeing, ah, oh, I thought that's how things were. Now, or, oh, I thought this thought was really how things are. You know, and it, it kind of blowing up and, and dissolving in front of our eyes. I remember many years ago, I took care of an older man um, who died when I was with him. And just before he died, and he, we used to have a lot of conversations about these things and about liberation and about looking at the heart. And you know, he was in a lot of, of suffering um, mentally. But he also had an enormous earnestness to find out the truth. And he went into a coma just before he died for a little while. And at one point, he came out of the coma and he scratched his head. And he said, oh, so that's how things are. <laughs> Unfortunately, he didn't have time to tell me. <laughs> He went back into the coma and then he died. But I really, I, I really thought it was extraordinary, whatever it meant. <laughs> so this is what we're all doing in our own way. <laughs> we can be aware of the process nature of every element in life. 
we can be aware of how we try to find peace, we try to find refuge within that which does not hold a refuge. Now, always we're trying to find refuge in that which is not a refuge. And just, this is the fourth foundation. I mean, just to take this up as one's practice, to notice throughout the day what we're trying to take refuge in that, you know, might even want to be a refuge for us, but can't be, you know, endlessly, moment after moment after moment. I'm thinking of something like relationship where we can find, you know, with, a, with very good friends or very good relationships, we can find a great deal of comfort and a great deal of refuge but never in any kind of consistent way. Now, never, because that person is never going to say exactly what we want them to say from moment to moment. Now, never is that going to happen. Or that person is going to be going through certain states of mind themselves. And so can we be their refuge? You know, can we, can we be more available to find our own refuge so that we really truly can be refuges for one another instead of always trying to find it outside of ourselves. Because all of us are doing that. Yeah? And that's why there's so much conflict, is we're all very needy, and we're all trying to find, and I don't mean needy in a bad way, we have needs, and we're all trying to find refuge outside of ourselves in something, you know, in food, in relationship, in sleep, in fantasy, whatever it might be. And to really take up this endeavor of finding refuge within oneself is such a powerful thing to do in this world. It's such a powerful statement in life. And it actually works, is the good news, too. You know, it's, it's really the only reliable refuge that we will find. Aware of the impermanent, insubstantial nature of thoughts and emotions and feelings. And not thinking that uh, just because things are, are impermanent, they, they are to be dismissed really to recognize the impermanence in life, to recognize the insubstantiality, brings about a greater poignancy, brings about a greater appreciation or delight in the present moment, brings about a greater fullness of life in the present moment because we're aware that we can't hold on to it. So in everything that is touched, in our relationships, in whatever element of life we touch, there is a greater fullness because there is a greater poignancy. And we're with it fully, not in a fragmented way, and not trying to get more out of it than can be. In the awareness of the truth of things, the quality of life changes radically. With satipanya, with mindfulness and wisdom, there is indeed a freedom from the contraction, the burning, the pressure of everything being I or mine, which is a very heavy burden to carry, everything being I or mine that we see or hear or, or feel. You know, every feeling being I or mine is an enormous burden. Every emotion or thought or this body being who we are or I or mine, is an enormous burden that we can put down with mindfulness. Moving out of the conceptual level of I am, to actually experience life as it is from moment to moment. It erodes our fixed sense of there being an independent, permanent, solid self. 
And instead, there is a luminous knowing or an open responsiveness to life in which there is freedom and ease and peace. I think I'll um, just end with a, another poem by Mary Oliver. I bet she was the person I read the poem of a few nights ago. This is another one. When death comes, like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering, what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility, and I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending, as all music does, toward silence, and each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. I do think that with mindfulness, with awareness, we live and we don't visit. We find a home, not in the contents of this world, but in life itself, which is where we really can find refuge. Okay, so let's just take a moment and sit. <laughs> 